0: 1 Timothy chapter 4 The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith, and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things.
1: It is my joy and pleasure when I come to spend some time with you and share God's word with you. I bring greetings on the behalf of St. Andrews. That's where Pastor Lucas is this morning, so I am here in his stead. So you can kind of think of this as maybe a cultural exchange program, right? At least my accent is different than his, quite notably. Uh, So let us uh, pray together, and then we'll take a look at this passage that we have before us this morning. God, we are so thankful for your word and for an opportunity to share and learn from your scriptures. Thank you for Resurrection Church and for the people represented here. And now this morning, Father, may the words of my mouth, and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, if I were to say to you the name Chung Ka Long, most of you might not immediately recognize who that is. A few people are nodding over here. But if I told you that he was a Hong Kong fencer, And that he won a gold medal last year in the Tokyo Olympics, then you probably remember who I'm talking about. Even if you don't follow the Olympic Games, you may remember last summer the excitement that was here in the city when Chung won what was Hong Kong's first gold medal since the 97 handover and actually only the second gold medal in Hong Kong history. And like most Olympic athletes that kind of capture our minds and our attention for a few weeks, you know, every two years or so, Chung didn't just come out of nowhere, right? Edgar Chung Ka Long, that's his westernized name, he comes from an athletic family. Both of his parents played in the National Basketball League for Hong Kong and for China. He first took up fencing in the fourth grade, And six years later, when he was in Form 4, he competed in the 2014 Asian Junior and Cadet Fencing Championships in Jordan with the Hong Kong fencing team, and there he won gold in both the individual and the team foil competitions. And around that same time, he left his studies to become a full-time athlete at the age of 15 years old. He also won a bronze medal at the 2014 Incheon Asian Games. He was named Hong Kong's most promising young athlete. He won a gold medal at the 2016 Asian Fencing Championships. And that same year, in the 2016 Rio Olympics, Chung finished 11th in the round of 16. And while he didn't make it to the finals, he was the first Hong Kong fencer to make it into the second round at the Olympics. And then, of course, last year in Tokyo at the Summer Games, He defeated reigning Olympic champion Italian Daniel Grazzo to win the gold medal. And like so many Olympians, Chung Ka Long's story is really an inspiration to us, isn't it? In fact, I'm I'm so inspired by his story that I'm going to make an announcement this morning. You're, You're the first to hear this, okay? This is breaking news. I'm announcing today that I have decided to challenge Chung Ka Long to a one-on-one fencing duel. (laughs) That's right. Now, wait a minute. Before you think I'm absolutely crazy to do this, let me tell you why I believe that I have a good chance at defeating this world champion fencer. Okay. If you ask anyone who knows me, and my wife is here and she will attest to this, Since childhood, I have been a huge Star Wars fan, okay? (laughs) Over the course of my life, I have personally watched on film dozens and dozens of hours of lightsaber battles between Jedi and Sith. I believe that I am prepared for this. Now, of course, that logic is simply ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, Edgar Chung spent 15 years learning, working, training, even becoming a full-time athlete before he was able to claim the title as the best male fencer in the world. Some of you may have heard of the 10,000-hour rule. It was coined by researcher Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, the Story of Success. And Gladwell suggests that developing expertise in any given field requires on average about 10,000 hours of rigorous practice. I would say certainly, Chung spent well over 10,000 hours fencing prior to winning that gold medal. And me? Well, quite honestly, I can't recall ever in my life even holding a fencing foil in my hand. So to think that I would have a chance against him just because I have watched people on film fighting with laser swords is simply ridiculous. And that, my friends, brings us to the point of our passage this morning from 1 Timothy, verse 7 and 8 of chapter 4. Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, the Greek word that's used here for training is gymnasia. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that's where we get the English word gymnasium. And as Paul is doing here, as he's done on several other occasions, he's using an athletic metaphor to relate to the Christian spiritual life. Just as an athlete trains for at least 10,000 hours or more to be excellent at their sport, so too we as Christians must train in our faith. As Paul says, physical training may do you some good in this life, but spiritual training will benefit you for life here and for eternal life to come. Now, I know that you've been making your way through this first letter of Timothy uh, for several weeks with Pastor Lucas. Uh, you know probably that this letter was Paul's instruction and encouragement to his young protege, Timothy, you know, giving him some insights on how to effectively lead a congregation. And here in today's passage, we find Paul in just two paragraphs doing something very simply. He sets up first a problem. And then he responds by giving a solution. And here's the problem that he presents right at the beginning in verses 1 and 2. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. What a way to start off. That's pretty ominous stuff there, isn't it? I mean, people abandoning faith. There's deceiving spirits, there's demonic teaching, hypocritical liars. This is pretty scary, right? You may remember that back in chapter 1, Paul has already dealt with the issue of false teachers, and it's so important that he drags it up again right here at the, near the end of his letter. Now, just as a side note, if you're reading this and you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, Paul says there, in the later times... There will be people abandoning faith and listening to false teachers. Oh, well, that that sounds a lot like our day. That sounds very current. Well, maybe we really are in the last days. Well, let me break this unfortunate news to you. This is true of any era of Christian history. It goes all the way back to the origins of the Christian church. I mean, obviously, Paul here is warning Timothy about it. The phrase he uses, the later times, that just refers to the kingdom age, the messianic age, the age after Christ has come, which we all know is where the church has been for the last 2,000 years. But in Paul's time, some of these false teachings came from a group that you may have heard of before called the Gnostics. You see what he references there in verse 3? They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. That's a very unusual-sounding uh, instruction and in prohibition. And this possibly could be a reference to Gnostic teaching. You see, Gnostic, Gnosticism emphasized a personal spiritual knowledge. And it said that our spirit has a, a spark of the divine, a spark of God that is somehow trapped in our physical body, and our physical body, like all matter, is evil. Only spirit is good. So any physical pleasures, like For example, marriage or eating good foods is sinful. Of course, also when it comes to eating food, you might remember that there were some converted Jews still at the time that were trying to insist that Christians should continue to follow the Jewish laws, including adhering to the rules about what foods you could or could not eat. And Paul just says here, that's all rubbish. (laughs) Everything that God had made is good, we should give thanks for it. We should receive it all as coming from God. And the problem he points out in the first verse is that some of the believers were being deceived. And Paul refers to deception a number of times in his writings, and when he uses this word, he particularly refers to religious deception. Hypocrites, liars, imposters, deceivers. In Paul's day, it was not uncommon to find scam artists or evil men, wandering preachers, both pagan and Christian, that would travel around the country cheating or swindling people, all in the name of philosophy or religion. So I suppose it is true what the teacher says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there really is nothing new under the sun. Now we can use Paul's solution to the matter here to help us have a better understanding of what the problem was and identify why some of these believers were being deceived. In verse 6, he says this to Timothy, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Paul says, hey, Timothy, you need to draw attention to the fact that some of these believers are not spiritually mature. They aren't nourishing their faith. They aren't receiving good teaching. They haven't built for themselves a good spiritual foundation to help them discern what are false or deceptive teachings. Timothy, look, if you want to be a good and faithful minister, he says, you need to encourage faithful spiritual formation. Teaching and training. Now, before I came today, Pastor Lucas shared with me that you're going through kind of a reevaluation period here at, at Resurrection, kind of taking stock of who you are as a church. So, I could say that by extension, if you want to be a good and faithful church, Paul's encouragement is that you need to provide for good spiritual formation, for sound Christian training. Now, last year at about this time in October, my wife and I went out on one of Hong Kong's infamous cruises to nowhere. Okay. Did any of you take a cruise to nowhere? We enjoyed it so much we actually went on a second cruise to nowhere over Christmas break. It was so much fun. I mean, there were two cruise lines coming out of Kai Tak, so we had to compare them both, right? Now, if any of you have ever taken a cruise before, you know um, what a relaxing, peaceful, and yet really a simple experience it can be, right? There is food available to you all day, from breakfast all the way to a late night snack. There is entertainment in every direction. There are shows, live music, concerts, dancing, magicians, you name it. You're surrounded by beautiful scenery, even if it is just only the endless expanse of the ocean spreading out in all directions, pretty much everything you need or want is provided for you. And now I think that many people view the Christian life with sort of a cruise mentality. Well, I followed Christ. I got on the boat. You know, now all I have to do is just enjoy the ride, right? Training, teaching. Well, we had like that five-minute drill on how to put on a life jacket. That, that's enough, isn't it? But you see, a cruise is as wonderful as it is exactly because it is not real life. In fact, it can be rather deceptive. If you're on a cruise for any amount of time, those of you who've been on a cruise, you know that when you finally disembark, you've been walking like this, you know, for so long that when you get on solid ground, it's kind of hard to get your footing underneath you, it's kind of difficult to be prepared to have your land legs again. Because an autopilot cruising approach to Christian living doesn't prepare us for the real challenges of living in the real world. There's at least three big mistakes that I think that Christians make when it comes to our own spiritual growth. The first one is the idea that I've made it, I've arrived, right? I've decided to follow Christ, I now know all I need to know, you know, I'm mature, in fact, I'm, I'm better than a whole lot of, of you, right? You know, so we compare ourselves with others. Secondly, there's this expectation that, spiritual growth is somehow just automatic well you know I I turn, I turn up to services on Sunday at least twice a month you know so I'm, I'm, I'm doing good right I give a little money to the church every now and then that that makes me okay doesn't it? Thirdly we find unfortunately that for many of us we simply have other priorities some of us can be honest enough with ourselves to admit that spiritual growth just isn't all that important to us. I really just want to be a good person, that's all. You know, and to use the cruise metaphor, I don't want to rock the boat, right? We want to get on the cruise, not have to do a lot of work, and then reap and enjoy the eternal rewards at the end, right? It's not too different from me, thinking that I could somehow take on Chung Ka Long in a fencing duel just because I've watched people in movies battling with lightsabers. Chung would absolutely destroy me in that match, right? Because I have done nothing to prepare myself for that. And in the same way, when we take a lackadaisical attitude towards our own faith development and our own spiritual growth, we'll find that the difficulties in life will overwhelm us. They will do us in. Not to mention, we'll find ourselves easily swayed, easily deceived by people with false teachings or those wanting to deceive us. So back to Paul's encouragement to Timothy. He reminds him that he was nourished on the truths of faith and likewise as a good minister or by extension, as a good church, that he should do the same for others, nourish in faith. Don't just eat spiritual junk food, you know, a little nugget here and a little nugget there, things that are tasty and delicious to us, but, you know, I don't want any of that hard stuff. Verse 7, he says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. I laugh at that because old wives' tales is such a peculiar English idiom to be used here in the NIV. It's probably carried over from the old King James version. He could have just as easily said superstitions or fairy tales or maybe even urban legends, right? Stories with no substance and no truth. In other words, don't just listen to what you want to hear only. Train yourself to be godly. Godliness has value for all things. Basically, he says, Get yourself over to the spiritual gymnasium. Spiritual growth, spiritual development, spiritual formation, training, whatever it is you want to call it, doesn't just happen in our lives. Like an athlete disciplines his or herself with physical training, so too we as Christians must discipline ourselves with spiritual training. Godliness is not passive, it's active. And you know, we often refer to our spiritual lives as a Christian walk. So what is it then, if we're counting our steps, that helps us get in our daily 10,000 spiritual steps in our Christian walk? Well, coming together on Sundays for worship and preaching absolutely is essential, of course, but that should just be our launching point, our starting point, our foundation. You know, just listening to someone tell me about the basics of the sport of fencing does not give me what I need to challenge Chung Ka Long. It doesn't work that way. Personal, daily spiritual disciplines like, you know, Bible reading, prayer, praying with our our families, reading devotional materials, these are the types of things that take us to the next step, that take us to the next level developing our spiritual life. But may I commend to you this morning something that I find incredibly beneficial. The practice of joining a growth group, if you really want to go deeper in your faith journey. Throughout my adult life, I can say with all confidence that I have personally found no practice more beneficial in my life than belonging to a small group of believers who gather together for prayer, Bible study, learning, and encouragement. And I can say that for several reasons. First of all, growth groups require commitment, not just to God, but to other people, right? You know, it may be easy on Sundays to skip out and, and not be missed, but growth groups force us to be accountable with our time and relationships. When we don't show up, people notice. Secondly, growth groups foster within us humility and grace. I don't know if you've noticed this, but even among Christians, there's a lot of different opinions and perceptions and a lot of different views about things, right? And when you put yourself into a small group, into a growth group, you learn from others and you learn about others. We develop humility, we develop grace and giving grace when we begin to accept those differences between one another. And if we're humble and honest with ourselves, it's those closest Christian brothers and sisters who are the ones that help us see our own blind spots in our Christian lives. And thirdly, in a similar way, growth groups are a vessel that God uses for both support and encouragement. I think in almost every small group that I've ever been a part of, there has been at some point or other an individual or a couple who has experienced a time of crisis. Sometimes it's been my wife and I. But we can look at those times and we can see them as inconvenience or we can allow ourselves to then be a conduit of God's mercy, grace, care, and provision for one another. It's a beautiful thing. Now let me say that Pastor Lucas did not ask me to tell you that. That's, that's some free advertising for me because I believe it to be true. And as you're going through a time of you know, kind of reevaluating who you are as a congregation, who you are as a church, I would suggest to you and encourage you to give serious consideration if you're not already a part of a growth group or a small group, to join one, to experience what it's like to be in a small fellowship of Christian community. And I guarantee that if you do that, you'll come back and you'll thank me later. Okay? So worship prayer, Bible study, preaching, small groups, giving, serving, the list can go on and on and on of the things that we do in developing our spiritual life. But we're challenged to recognize that we have to give purposeful attention to spiritual growth. And if we take a careful look at this passage again, and we framed it as a problem and a solution, I want you to notice that although Paul identifies the problem as false and deceptive teaching, and he even gives a few specific examples, his solution that he gives is not to expound on each of these false teachings uh, with some sort of counter-argument. You know, he doesn't unload his theological arsenal. Instead, what he does, he says that the defense against, you know, strong and passionate, deceptive teachers, hypocritical liars, the defense against that is strong and passionate lifestyles, of faithfulness and godliness. Now certainly there may be times in our lives where we do have to counter false teachings on a point-by-point basis, but the emphasis here is that if we're grounded, if we're trained and spiritually uh, strong enough in our faith, then we are less likely to be deceived. We're less likely to be taken in by people that want to lead us astray. After Chung Ka Long won the gold medal last summer in Tokyo, you probably remember what happened here in Hong Kong, right? There was was a buzz of excitement, there there was joy, there was pride among Hong Kongers, right? But there was something that they also called the Ka Long effect. Fencing schools across the city received a surge of interest from parents wanting to enroll their kids in fencing lessons, right? There was one school that had over 50 calls from parents less than a day after Chung's medal win. There was another school with 10 new sign-ups that same day of children from three years old to six years old. They had three dozen other inquiries, and they added four classes to their schedule the very next week. And one of the headmasters said this, Parents want their sons and daughters to be as cool as long. (laughs) Now, for some people, committing to purposeful Christian growth can be challenging. It can seem like a difficult or daunting task. In fact, G.K. Chesterton, a prominent English theologian in the 18th century, wrote this, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting, as it has been found difficult and left untried. See, many people may think that training ourselves spiritually is just, it's too hard. It's a lot easier just to stay on the cruise and just ride it out, right? And it's true, just like athletic training, spiritual training requires discipline, requires commitment. But like the Ka Long effect... We have the Christ effect. You see, when we surround ourselves with other believers, other people who are purposefully attending to our spiritual lives together, and we find ourselves in a group that's committed to following Christ in the midst of this crazy and complicated world that we live in, it's then that we find the encouragement, we find the joy, we find the hope, we find the strength to carry on to push through, to move ahead. We pursue God wholeheartedly, not just for ourselves, but also as an example to all of those around us. Paul says godliness has value both in this life and in the life to come. When interviewed after his gold medal win, Chung said, we must persist and we should not give up easily. I want to thank all Hong Kong people for their support. After winning, I told myself, I can't get complacent. I'll continue to work hard to bring glory to Hong Kong. In the same way, friends, we work hard as Christians to nurture our spiritual lives, with the help of other Christians around us, so that we might bring glory to Christ. And Paul sums it up right there at the end in verse 10. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your blessings. Thank you that we can have this encouragement from Paul to Timothy, and we can overhear this great advice that he gives him. And be challenged, be purposefully attentive to the spiritual growth in our lives, and to be attentive to the growth in those around us. Thank you, God, that we can worship together, that we can celebrate your grace and your love this morning with one another. Thank you for your blessings, for teaching us, and for showing us the great love of your Son. And it's in the name of your Son, and through the power of your Spirit that I pray. Amen.